The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Awesome. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, uh, we are looking really briefly tonight at that famous night when Jesus was born. The night when the angels turned up to speak to those shepherds and tell them about the news of this baby Jesus lying in a manger. This is one of the most important nights in the history of the earth. And getting a front row seat to this spectacular event is a group of people who we would least likely expect to be there, a group of shepherds. Now, we actually do expect shepherds because we've heard this story time and time again. But back then, you, you wouldn't have expected shepherds. It would have been a, a, a palace People would have had expectations of some uh, local or uh, citywide dignitary, but this is the lowly profession of a shepherd, this, this quite disregarded profession. And these men are privy to the birth of Jesus. Here in a field outside of Bethlehem, outside of Jerusalem, on the margins of the world, the angels of heaven meet these lowly workers. And and just briefly, that tells us one really important thing. God's ways are not our ways. God is not just interested in important people. He's also very interested in those who feel unimportant, those who feel like their life is not worth much at all. God is, if that's how you feel, God is very interested in you. There's an awful lot to discuss in these wonderful uh, words here, these wonderful verses. Uh, which I really just want to draw our attention this afternoon to a couple of wonderful lines in it. Because if we, attend to, if we give attention to what has been said here, uh, our, our joy in God is likely to deepen. Our, our joy in God is likely to grow. And this, this passage, these, these verses are actually incredibly Practical in the sense that it will, they will help us understand how relationships can be restored, how we can forgive and bring peace to one another. This passage, even though it is very famous and for very good reasons, is incredibly practical to us. So this first line that I want to look at tonight is when the angel, this first angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When someone comes to you and says, I've got good news, there's an, an expected reaction that should follow after that. Like if, if, if I was to come to you and say, hey, I've got good news. I've just been to Guzman Gomez and they're giving away free burritos. That's good news, right? We all go, wow, praise the Lord. Thank, thank God for that. And we head down to Guzman and get our feed. Or maybe someone like the doctor says, I've got good news. The test results came back. And you're completely clear. No more cancer. Good news expects a, a joyful reaction. Good news is meant to bring us joy. And this story is no different. The, the angel has good news of great joy. Behold, I bring you good news. Put it into modern parlance. I've got good news. What's the news? He says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
the Christ, who is the prophesied hero, the one who will make everything right, the one who will write God's law on his people's hearts, the, the one who would, who, would, uh, who would bring his people into a new age, the, the one who would, make, who would restore mankind to God. He was here, the Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Pay attention to those words. Christ the Savior. He is the King and he saves. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And the question that I want to ask this afternoon is, does that good news bring you joy? Does your heart leap with joy at the news that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Or is your response to that rather underwhelming? Here's the thing. If you don't think that God is that great, then that won't actually appear as good news for you. Or if you think that your sin is not actually that bad, then that won't actually feel like good news to you. Or inversely, if you feel like your sin is too much for God's grace, too much for God's love, and you've out-sinned God's love, you've, you've sinned to the, degree, to, the, to the degree that God could never forgive you, then that's not going to be good news for you. You're not going to find joy in the gospel. If you don't think that God is great, then the gospel will seem a bit redundant. What's, what's the point of that? Why does, why does that matter? If you don't think that you're that much of a sinner, the gospel will seem superfluous. The idea that Jesus Christ would come and die for my sins, they're not even that bad. Why would he have to die? That's not, that's not good news. And if you think you're too far for God to save you, then the gospel will, feel, will seem impossible. There'll be no joy in your response to the good news. You're more likely to shrug your shoulders at it and go, okay, yeah, sure, I've heard all this before. But those responses, those reactions, those things are all actually incorrect. God is truly that great. Our sin truly is that bad. And we cannot sin to the degree that God can never forgive us. God really is that great. He really is holy. He really is perfect. God stands alone in his, perf- in his perfect purity. There is no one who can compare with God. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. God is omnipotent. There is nothing he cannot do. God is omniscient. There is nothing he does not know. God is omnipresent. There is nowhere where he isn't. And God is omnibenevolent. Everything he does is perfectly good. He is the holy God of the universe, worthy to be glorified, praised, and honored. And there is no one who can compare with him. There's a few moments in the Bible where uh, a few people get somewhat of a front seat to the front row seat to the to the glory of God and his holiness and they're never the same again. After Moses encountered God on the slopes of Mount Sinai, afterwards his face shone from the brightness of the residual glory of God still on his face and it freaked people out. They had to put a bag over his head. God is that glorious, he is that great. 
when the prophet Isaiah had a vision of God, he said, woe is me, I am ruined. He was suddenly aware of the depth of his own sin, the depth of the sin of the people around him and how far above him God was. Or we have Ezekiel who had a vision of God's glory and fell face down. God is that great. And that means that sin, any and all sin that is committed against him, must be dealt with. He has to deal with it. He can't sweep it under the rug. God wouldn't be God if he swept sin under the rug or ignored it. And really, we don't want God to sweep sin under the rug. We like it when God brings justice to those sins committed against us. We get pretty nervous when we consider this sin in our own heart. God would not be God if he did not correct the injustice of sin. And our sin really is that bad that the death of Jesus was the only way that our debt could be paid. Sin racks up an unpayable debt. No one in this room can pay it. No amount of good works that you can do today, tomorrow, or for the rest of your life will ever, ever pay the debt that we owe God, the debt, the debt of our sin. Imagine that you're in a, in a store and you accidentally knock over a vase and, and the vase falls and breaks and you, you want to do the right thing. You pick up the pieces, you take it to the counter, you say, you say I'm so sorry, I, I broke this vase. And they tell you, well, actually, that vase is worth $15,000. Suddenly, you wish you just left it on the floor. If you knew the cost, you might have been a bit more careful and serious about it. Consider just how serious sin is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to shed his own blood in order to redeem us from it. The point is that we can't know how good the good news is. We can't find joy in the gospel. We can't know, know, how, know how good the good news is until we know how bad the bad news is. Imagine a person being saved by a lifesaver, having no idea that they were in trouble. They might not be grateful for it if they don't realize how big that shark was nearby that they couldn't see. A number of years ago, my friends and I were driving into Brisbane from the Sunshine Coast. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but we got to the end of the Bruce Highway where uh, Beams Road connects with the Bruce Highway. It's a very, very busy intersection. And some poor person was broken down right in the middle of the intersection at peak hour on a Friday afternoon. Um, it was, it was going to be absolute mayhem, absolute carnage in North Brisbane because of this one incident with one person broken down. And my friends and I, being full of courage and bravery and testosterone, thought, we can do something about this. And so we, we ran over to it and we knocked on, the, knocked on the window and said, hey, can we, can we push your car? We'll push your car out of the way. And the guy looked at me and went, all right. And we're like, okay, we'll just, we'll do it anyway. Because, like, you know, you're right in the middle of the intersection. Everyone's kind of banked up. And so he pushed the car, and it was like slightly uphill. And I don't know if you've ever pushed a car slightly uphill. It's a lot more work than pushing a car downhill. Um, and so we pushed this car, and we worked hard, and we finally got the car off the, out of the way. And I went over to him to give him the thumbs up, and he didn't wind down the window. He just looked at me and went, whatever, thanks. And we are like, no worries, mate, all good. And we ran off. He had no idea how bad the bad news was. 
I, I'm guessing he had no idea how bad the bad news was. We could see, we could see this was going to be a disaster. If we don't know how good the good news is, if we don't know how bad the bad news is of our sin, we won't know how good the good news is. We need to hear of our sin and the cost of it to find joy in the, in the Savior who saves us from it. You see, God in his justice will hold every sin to account. He will convene the court and we will stand trial. And not a single sin will fall through the cracks. Without Jesus, without Jesus, each one of us is our own terrible defense attorney. The evidence will be stacked against us and we won't have a leg to stand on. We need to come to the grips, come to grips with the reality of our sin. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the Savior who is Christ the Lord, the one who saves us from our sins. As Savior, Jesus came to save us from our sins, to absorb God's wrath on our behalf, and he stands at our defense. This means that anyone who comes to the Lord, comes to Jesus, and submits to him as their king, if they come humbly, not bringing excuses, not trying to get themselves off the hook, not trying to downplay their sin, but coming humbly, recognizing that he is the only way that we can be saved from our sins, that they will be saved, their sins forgiven, their record wiped clean, and they will experience new life. That's the source of the joy of the gospel. Maybe you're the kind of person who finds the gospel burdensome because you believe that God could never really love you that much. You're acutely aware of how every single time you have fallen short of God's glory. You're hyper aware of every single reason why God, you think God could never love you. If that's you, the gospel will actually seem somewhat burdensome. You you might feel it somewhat burdensome because you will feel that you have to keep up appearances and keep proving to God that you are worth saving. You need to keep presenting your case before him, saying, hey, I wasn't actually that bad, or look how hard I'm trying. But God's love for us really is that wonderful, that he willingly died to save us. If you believe that you need to impress God for him to save you, what you're really doing is you're adding to God's grace. You're seeking to improve the cross. Friends, the cross of Jesus Christ does not need to be improved. There's nothing to improve about the cross. It's where God's perfect justice against sin and his perfect love meet. It's where you and I, as wretched sinners, can come face to face with the perfect, holy, and just God of the universe and see his perfect love, his perfect justice, where sin is dealt a death blow and where, shielded sin, where sinners are shielded from his wrath. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He is king. He is savior. That's the good news of great joy. And it's within this announcement that we find this incredibly practical effect of the gospel. We're told then in verse 13 that this one angel was enjoined by a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. 
Now, it's important to understand a couple of words here. The word heavenly host literally means the army of heaven. That's what host means. It's uh, an army or an armed force. Now, how did these shepherds know that this was an army? Well, I suppose it's how anybody would recognize any army. Like maybe these soldiers were armed, or maybe it was the, the regiments, or maybe it was just their intimidation, how, how terrifying they were. But make no mistake, this is a military force, the army of heaven. But this is no small scouting party either. This is a, a multitude. And that word that is used there for multitude is very often reserved for those times where counting is just out of the question. Like the times when, that time when the, the disciples haul in the great catch of fish, it's the same word for multitude, just beyond count. The sky filled with this army of heaven, this huge military force. And they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We've just got to acknowledge the incredible juxtaposition that is painted here. Here is this great, powerful, feared, dynamic, terrifying, multitude army. And they're on earth because their king has arrived on earth. The king of glory. He's not arrived alone. His army is coming up behind him and they are praising him and they are shouting their war cry. Now, I'm not sure if you... The only war cry I have ever said is the one that in sports carnivals at schools, but what comes to mind for me is the haka. I'm not a Kiwi. I'm not sure what what the actual translation of the haka means. I don't think it's particularly nice. I think it's particularly savage. That's what a war cry is. It's meant to inspire fear in your enemies. It's meant to make your enemies terrified. What is the war cry of this army? Glory to God. Peace to mankind. It's an army shouting peace. It's an incredible juxtaposition. The strife is over. Sin has caused enough chaos. The arrival of Jesus on earth means... Peace. Peace on earth. Peace amongst mankind. Even though it's still Christmas, war still rages on around the world. There will come a day day where every single nation, every single ruler, every single kingdom will stand before the throne of God and they'll be reduced to nothing in the sight of the all-powerful king. Though they rally against him, he will dash them to pieces like hammer against a pottery, like a hammer against a pottery. And as well as the grand scale peace that Jesus brings to this world that one day that we look forward to, this peace is also incredibly personal too. The angels say, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That means peace amongst those with whom God's favor rests those whom God chooses to save. What this means is that for those who have peace with God, those who have been made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, they can now have peace with one another. This is peace with your neighbor. Peace with the person who just cut you off in traffic that was just on the worst day. Peace with the person who just pushed in front of you at the shopping, at the shopping line. 
the other night, my friends and I, we, were, we went to get some fish and chips and we were standing, my mate and I, we were standing in line and it was a long line and we were waiting for a long time and this lady came and just totally pushed in front of us, like, like she acknowledged, like she said, I'm just, I just have to buy this and we're like, yeah, we, we all do, <laughs> like that's what we thought, we didn't say anything to her, I wanted to say some other things to her but I just was, I'm just going to keep my mouth, I don't want to start a scene, so sure, that's, that's fine. You, you take your, if, you, if this is what's important to you, that, that's fine. And then we waited outside the fish and chip shop and we were sitting there having a conversation and then we looked over and we saw her sitting in her car waiting for her fish and chips to be ready and she was parked in a disabled spot. She was definitely not a disabled person and we went, oh, okay. And then later on, as we, after we picked up our fish and chips, we were crossing the road and we were on the zebra crossing and she drove past us and drove straight through the zebra crossing and we were like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Peace amongst mankind means that we can have peace with everybody. Now, that's just a silly example, right? And, you know, words can be said in that time, but also words don't have to be said. Just words can be stored in our hearts about people like that. But here is the army of heaven saying peace amongst mankind. We've got to hear that. We've got to listen to that. I mean, these are just silly examples, but this is peace with that person who said those words to you all those years ago, and it still hurts. Those words live rent-free in your mind and heart. They're just always there. This is important for us. See, Christmas can be a time of joy and happiness for many people. For others, it can be shaded by hurt and loneliness and despair. It's a, it can be a reminder of all the things that have been lost, all the things that never were. The anxiety can rise. We can feel heightened and stressed and what we have here in Jesus is peace amongst mankind. This is the message, peace with one another. It can be very easy to let the resentment build up in our hearts. It can be very easy to let those things that were said or not said, or those things that were done or not done, live in our hearts, fester in our hearts, fester into bitterness, hatred, and animosity towards other people. I know this feeling all too well. I know the, I know the feeling of holding on to that thing that that person said or did all those years ago and replaying that again and again in my mind. Being nourished by poison. Feeling like I'm justified in, in, in replaying that scenario again and again in my heart. Holding bitterness in my heart. Jesus calls us to peace, to forgiveness. See, what we're promised in Jesus is peace amongst mankind. How can we possibly get there? How can we possibly have that peace? Well, we need to look to the, at the cross where Jesus paid for our sin. You see, at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus forged peace between us and God. Between God and mankind. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, that means there is now no hostility between you and God. There is nothing that God is holding against you. All of your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ. He has taken them away. And that vertical peace with God paves the way for the horizontal peace with one another. Because, we have, because of that peace that we have with God, we are now freed up from that prison of bitterness and of hatred and of resentment and of that putrid revenge. When you know that Jesus Christ has forgiven you for far more than you will ever have to forgive anyone else, it means that you can forgive someone else and give up those dreams of rotten revenge. It means you no longer have to plot and devise their downfall. You are freed up to forgive them and not to let that, that hurt fester any longer. This is the unbelievably challenging message of Christmas. You see, Christmas, sorry, you see, peace amongst friends, that's understandable. Peace amongst those who are easy to love, that's easy to get our heads around. But true peace, the kind of peace that changes lives, is, is, with, is forged with a person that drives us crazy, the self-centered and the entitled person. This peace isn't tolerance of rotten behavior. It's the refusal to let what they've said or done rot in your heart and poison your mind. This peace is letting what Jesus has done for us on the cross have a greater say over who we are than what they have done. What's the, start, what's the state of your heart this Christmas? Are you harboring feelings of ill will and resentment towards another person? It might be incredibly justified too. It might feel that way. Is there someone who you're really not looking forward to seeing them this Christmas because of all the things and all the feelings it will drum up? Know this. You don't have to be paralyzed by that anymore. If that's where you're at, let's look at the cross again. Look at the sin that declared to, that, that declared to God Look at this sin that when you declared to God, I should be in that throne, not you. Look at the cost of sin. Look at Jesus Christ dying for your sin in your place in order to forgive and remove the hostility between you and God. And let that forgiveness, let the forgiveness and the peace that we have with God instruct the way we treat others this Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.